Hello, this is episode 36 of this True Crime Nightmare podcast. This is the very famous case of the UK's killer GP, Dr Harold Shipman. Harold Shipman was convicted of murdering 15 people, all of whom were patients under his care. A later full inquiry and investigation would conclude that Harold Shipman in fact killed 250 people. After his trial and his conviction, not surprisingly, he was sentenced to life imprisonment with the recommendation from the judge that he never be released. Harold was 55 years old when he was sent away for the rest of his life. The 15 people that Harold Shipman was convicted of killing are as follows. Marie West, Irene Turner, Lizzie Adams... Jean Lilly, Ivy Lomas, Muriel Grimshaw, Marie Quinn, Kathleen Wagstaff, Bianca Ponifray, Noah Nuttall, Pamela Hillier, Maureen Ward, Winifred Meller, Jean Myler and Kathleen Grundy. All women were found to have been injected with lethal doses of diamorphine and they were believed to have been injected by Harold Shipman and all of the 15 victims were murdered between 1995 and 1998. Harold Shipman's trial took place at Preston Crown Court in England on the 5th of October of 1999. After hearing all of the evidence, and there was lots of it, the jury returned guilty verdicts on all 15 murders as well as a guilty charge for forgery against Harold Shipman. The jury had deliberated for six days. The judge, Mr Justice Forbes, then sentenced Harold Shipman. He was sent to Her Majesty's Prison in Wakefield in West Yorkshire in England to serve out his sentence. Harold Frederick Shipman was born on the 14th of January of 1946. He was born in Nottingham, which is in the East Midlands area of England. His father was also called Harold Shipman and his mother's name was Vera. Harold Shipman would often go by the name Fred, especially to his family and friends. Harold Shipman was the middle child of Harold and Vera, who had three children altogether. He had a brother and a sister. His father worked as a truck driver. His parents were known to be devout Methodists. The family lived on a council estate and it is thought that Vera Shipman had high expectations that her son Harold would go on to make something of his life. Many who knew the family apparently said that Harold's mother could sense that he was more intelligent and more capable than his siblings. How, Whether this is true or not, we don't really know. We only have the word of a few people to say that. But apparently she saw something in Harold that um, she felt he was going to go quite far in life. Harold Shipman did well at school. He passed his 11 plus exam in 1957. He then attended a grammar school which was called the High Pavement Grammar School in Nottingham. He also, as well as doing well in his studies and other school work, he enjoyed running and was considered to be a good distance runner during his teenage years. Harold Shipman kept up much of his running outside of school as well. He finished his education at the grammar school in 1964. Harold Chipman was known to be very close to his mother Vera, but unfortunately she developed terminal cancer whilst Harold was still a teenager. Many people who have since studied the Harold Chipman case have often stated that his mother's illness was quite instrumental in terms of what happened next. Apparently he would often be 
witness to his mother's doctor coming around and giving her her pain relief, especially towards the end when she would frequently require injections of dimorphine to ease her considerable pain. He later said that he observed how after his mother had been given an injection by her doctor, how it was obvious that it took away the pain and much of the discomfort which the cancer had left her in. Many people believe that a link can be made between his mother's treatment and what he went on to do to his patients in later life. However, there are obviously many differences between what his mother went through and what his unfortunate patients went through. None of the 15 murder victims were known to be suffering from a terminal illness and most of them were in reasonably good health considering their age. Not only that, but they did not consent to, to his form of treatment in in the true sense anyway. They would not have known that the injection that they were just about to receive would in fact kill them. Harold Chipman's mother, Vera, passed away on the 21st of June of 1963. He was still a teenager and attending school at the time. His mother had died at the age of 45, so a lot younger than his future victims. It was shortly after this that Harold Shipman met his future wife, Primrose. They met whilst travelling on a bus and struck up a friendship. He was 17 and she was 15 years old at the time. It is not thought that Harold Shipman had ever had a girlfriend before meeting Primrose. The couple became very close very quickly and married as soon as they could. They would go on to have four children. Harold Shipman, after leaving grammar school, attended the Leeds School of Medicine at the University of Leeds. He would graduate in 1970. He initially failed his exams, which would allow him to study medicine, but he was able to retake them and so was able to study to become a doctor in the end. His first position after he left Leeds University was at Pontefract General Infirmary in Pontefract, West Riding of Yorkshire in England. He took his first job as a general practitioner at the Abraham Medical Centre at Todmarden, which is a market town in West Yorkshire. He took this position in 1974, but it was only the following year in 1975 when he was caught forging prescriptions. The prescriptions were for pethidine, which was believed to have been for his own use only. He ended up with a fine of £600 and he was ordered to attend a drug rehabilitation clinic, which was based in York. However, he was still able to work as a doctor once he had successfully completed his rehab. He was not able to return to the Abraham Medical Centre, though, so he had to find another place that would take him on as a doctor. He did manage to find another position as a GP. This was at the Donnybrook Medical Centre which was based in Hyde. Hyde is a small town in Thameside, Greater Manchester in England. He took the job in 1977 and according to later reports he was honest about what had happened at his previous job and they were prepared to give him a chance. Harold Shipman continued to work as a GP in Hyde throughout the rest of the 1970s and all through the 1980s, seemingly without incident. He was able to finally establish his own surgery, which is presumably what a lot of GPs aspire to do, or at least become partners in a surgery. This gives them more control and they are able to set their own budgets along with presumably many other perks as well. Harold Shipman's surgery was based at 21 Market Street in Hyde. 
He set up his surgery in 1993 and was at this time considered to be a respected member of the local community. He was also considered to be a popular doctor with many of the locals. However, all was not as it seemed to the outside world. His crimes came to light quite slowly over a fairly long period of time, really. There have been suggestions of some of the concerns that were initially raised in regards to Harold Shipman's higher than average death rate and his high levels of cremations not being taken very seriously by the authorities at first. And some have said that they felt that the police at first just swept some of the concerns raised under the carpet. Who knows if this is true or if there simply wasn't enough evidence to do anything further. Obviously, the police have to be able to back up these claims with actual evidence and although a lot of evidence did eventually come to light maybe it was not so readily available when concerns were first raised. In March of 1998 Linda Reynolds who was a doctor at another surgery in Hyde expressed concerns to John Pollard who at that time was the coroner for the South Manchester district. She raised concerns about the high death rate among Harold Shipman's patients. She also highlighted what she considered to be the high number of cremations for elderly women. She had countersigned some of the forms along with other GPs in Hyde because a GP would need to have a countersignature in order to authorise a cremation to take place. But as mentioned already, the police who had been informed by John Pollard about the concerns raised were unable to find sufficient evidence to bring any charges and ended up closing the investigation. The investigation was officially closed by the police on the 17th of April of 1998, so just a couple of weeks later. A local taxi driver would later raise concerns as well to the police about Harold Shipman. The taxi driver was called John Shaw and he had apparently become suspicious due to many of his elderly customers that he took for appointments and who had seemed to be in relatively good health would often die in Harold Shipman's care. Harold Shipman's last known victim was a lady called Kathleen Grundy who was in her 80s but was in reasonably good health and was an active part of her local community. Kathleen Grundy was found dead at her home where she had lived alone. She was found on the 24th of June in 1998 so just a few months after the police had closed down their initial investigations into Harold Shipman. It was quickly established that Harold Shipman was the last person to see Kathleen Grundy alive. He would also later go on to sign her death certificate. He recorded her death as old age. Fortunately, though, Kathleen Grundy's daughter, who was a qualified lawyer, her name is Angela Woodruff, became suspicious in relation to Harold Shipman. Angela had been contacted by her mother's solicitor, Brian Burgess, who informed her that a will had been made, apparently by her mother, and that there were some doubts about it being authentic. The will excluded Angela Woodruff and her children, but instead left the bulk of her £386,000 to Harold Shipman. Brian Burgess urged Angela Woodruff to go to the police with with their concerns, which she did. The police began another investigation into Harold Shipman. Kathleen Grundy by this time had already been buried and her body was later exhumed. Her body would reveal traces of diamorphine. Diamorphine is often used in terminally ill patients. When Harold Shipman was questioned about this development, he claimed that Kathleen Grundy had been a drug addict. 
He was even able to show the police some notes that were on her medical records which supported his claims. However, when the computer was examined forensically, it was established that the notes had been added after Kathleen's death. Harold Shipman was arrested on the 7th of September of 1998 on suspicion of murder and forgery. The police went on to investigate a further 15 deaths. They soon discovered a clear pattern in relation to him administering lethal doses of dimorphine to his patients. They also found evidence that he had falsified patients' medical records to try and indicate that the patient had been in poor health, which turned out not to be the case at all. In total, the police were able to charge Harold Shipman in relation to 15 deaths of his patients and the charge of forgery relating to the will that had been found to be a forgery by experts and not a particularly good one at that. All of the deaths that he would be held accountable for took place between 1995 and 1998, the year he was caught and arrested. Harold Shipman's lawyers wanted the case of Kathleen Grundy tried separately due to the alleged forgery charge, but this was denied. As the police investigation had got underway, it was discovered that quite a few people had had suspicions regarding Harold Shipman. One of the local undertakers had noticed how many deaths of elderly women had occurred under Harold Shipman's care. The undertaker would also go on to say later that it was surprising how many of the women had died fully clothed and either sitting up in their chairs or on their sofas in their own homes. Cremations would obviously make it that much harder to prove any wrongdoing and would have helped Harold Shipman get away with his crimes for much longer in all probability it would seem. It would also come out at his trial that Harold Shipman would often make house calls to his elderly patients. Seemingly, on many occasions, the elderly patients would often be found dead afterwards. Harold Shipman had injected his victims with lethal doses of um, of diamorphine and he would then just leave the house and for the patient person to be discovered dead later. It would also come to light that despite Harold Shipman claiming that he had examined his patients thoroughly, the women were all fully clothed, including the cuffs on their sleeves and the buttons on their blouses. They were all wearing shoes as well. They would also be discovered in the same place that they would have met with the doctor. Evidence came to light that in fact Harold Shipman would fabricate his patients' health problems, making it seem that they were in poor health when they weren't. He had in fact made many changes to the patient's medical records to back up his story, but experts were able to prove that he had made changes to the medical records often after the person had passed away. It was also known that he would encourage the families of his victims to have their loved ones cremated, which quite a few did. But luckily, not all of the relatives agreed to this, which meant that after some of the bodies were exhumed, traces of diamorphine were found. A local journalist who worked for the Manchester Evening News got wind of the police investigation fairly early on. He began interviewing local people and asking them about Harold Chipman. This is where some of the nicknames would come from. The journalists often referred in the paper to the GP as Dr Death or the Angel of Death. Some of the locals said that people would often say that if you became a patient of Harold Shipman's, Shipman's you wouldn't last.
When Harold Shipman was first arrested, shockwaves went through at first the local community and then the whole country, as you can imagine. No other doctor had ever been accused of such crimes against so many of his own patients before. It was fortunate, fortunate that there was so much evidence available. The forged will was a good place, a good piece of evidence that would be used against him. It was established that the typewriter that was used to type up the will belonged to Harold Shipman. He, however, told the police that Kathleen Grundy had borrowed it from him in order to write up the will, even though he had said previously that he did not know anything about the will when he was initially questioned about it by the police. Also, the fact that he had altered patients' records to make it more believable that the person died from some ongoing condition. The police also recovered some pieces of jewellery in Harold Shipman's possession that would turn out to have been stolen from the victims. The value of all of the pieces of jewellery stolen was believed to have been in the region of £10,000 worth. Harold Shipman also denied having anything to do with not only the theft of the jewellery, the, the forgery with the will, and also all of the deaths that he was charged with or questioned about. His wife Primrose stood by him and steadfastly refused to believe that he had anything to do with murdering his patients. Harold Shipman was due to spend the rest of his life in prison, as stated before. However, he decided to take the easy way out. He committed suicide in prison. He hanged himself in his cell at HM Prison in Wakefield at 6.20 in the morning on the 13th of January of 2004. It was just before his 58th birthday. He had apparently used his bed sheets and had tied them to the bars on the window in his prison cell. He was being checked every hour so knew exactly when to do it and that he would be beyond saving by the time suspicions were raised. Some of his victims' families were have said that they felt cheated by the fact that he had killed himself. In a case like this, there are there's obviously going to be a full inquiry after the after the trial and the conviction of the person. It's usually how to look into what happened and how it had happened with the purpose of learning from any mistakes that are found to have been made and to put procedures in place for the future so that the same mistakes could not be made again or hopefully won't be made again. In January of 2001, Chris Gregg, a senior detective with the West Yorkshire Police, was selected to head up an investigation into 22 of the West Yorkshire deaths that had been attributed to Harold Shipman. As a result to some of the findings in the Shipman inquiry, the Shipman inquiry, which was headed up by a judge called Dame Janet Smith, found that Harold Shipman had been responsible for over 200 deaths in total, all of whom had been patients of his. The subsequent report concluded that all of the murders had taken place between 1975 and 1998. Dame Janet Smith concluded that there could have been more deaths that Harold Shipman was responsible for, but the evidence was not there to support any more deaths that may have been attributed to him otherwise. 
and this was partly due to all the um, cremations that had taken place. Not surprisingly, the General Medical Council also charged six doctors who had signed cremation forms for Harold Shipman's victims with misconduct. The council claimed that the doctors should have noticed the pattern between Shipman's home visits and his patients' deaths. All six of these doctors were found not guilty eventually. As is often the case when something really bad happens, changes are put in place. Doctors do now have to be more accountable, especially when prescribing high doses of strong pain relief. Also, there are not many single doctor surgeries around in the UK anymore. It was reported that if there is more than one doctor in a practice, then they will be able to pick up on things that are potentially going to cause a problem to the patients or to the surgery or, or to themselves. So they can then deal with the problem and nip it in the bud, if you like. You know, obviously not problems as bad as murder, but other little things that come up they can actually deal with um, without it escalating. It was suspected that at the end, Primrose Shipman had started to have doubts about her husband's guilt. She has never publicly gone on record though, so we shall probably never know what she really thought about her husband. Apart from his children and Prim Primrose, nobody else attended Harold Shipman's funeral. His funeral had been kept a secret and happened many months after his death. There are many document documentaries available on this case. I really liked the Born to Kill documentary as well as the True Stories one. There is a lot more information available on all of Harold Shipman's crimes if you want to read up on the case and find out a little bit more about exactly what has been suspected that had been going on for over well over 20 years in the end it was 20 about 23 years they reckon that he had been um, committing these really you know bad attacks on his patients so if you want to read up any more there's plenty out there plenty of newspaper articles like I say plenty of documentaries they're just the two that I I looked at but there's so many so many out there to look at there's also books available as well to to read up on him over the years since his conviction more and more information has come to light and it does make for some interesting reading in my opinion it is sad that so many elderly people had to lose their lives at the hands of somebody who they would have had total trust in they would have naturally thought that he was doing everything in their best interest and that they any injections would have been to help them with their day-to-day -day lives and that it was necessary. Harold Shipman abused his trust with all of his patients and his colleagues and all of the other healthcare professionals that he worked with. He also abused his trust with the many relatives of his many victims who would have probably never suspected any wrongdoing. People are usually vulnerable when they need medical help and the fact that he did the opposite of what he should have done is staggering. He should have preserved life, not ended it. 
the fact that so many of his victims died in their own homes with their so-called doctor paying them a home visit is shocking. They would have been totally unaware of what was about to happen to them. They were denied the opportunity to say goodbye to their loved ones. They were just murdered and left to be discovered. Harold Shipman must have also, on occasions, rifled through his patient's belongings because it was known later that he had stolen from some of his victims. A memorial garden has been established to remember Harold Shipman's many victims. It is called the Garden of Tranquility and is located in Hyde Park in Hyde itself, which is the town where a lot of his patients lived and and where he had his um, surgery. It is not known exactly why Harold Shipman decided to kill so many of his elderly patients. Many have said that he liked to have the power of life and death. It has also been said that the time that the time that his mother was visited on many occasions by her own GP, who had administered pain relief to her in her final days, had a huge impact on him. You can understand as a teenager how this could affect him, but not to what happened later. I, I just don't see how that would make you go on to want to go and murder your own patients. Whilst Harold Chipman was in prison, apparently some of the other inmates would often go to him with any medical issues that they had, even though they would have had proper doctors and nurses in the prison itself that they could go to, but they some of them did go to him, despite the fact that obviously he'd been convicted of murdering his own patients, and also the fact that the General Medical Council had um, quickly struck him off the register, so he wasn't actually a qualified doctor when he was in the, the prison, but I know he would have had the knowledge, but you still would actually go to somebody that was qualified and actually was able to to give you an honest diagnosis rather than somebody that had actually been convicted of so many murders, and it turns out many, many more murders... But anyway, that's that's how life is sometimes. The small community of Hyde will take a long time to recover and the whole nation will also take time to move on from this horrible case. Luckily, more safeguards have been put in place now so that there can never hopefully be a repeat of this evil man's actions again. He was convicted of killing 15 women but it has subsequently been determined that it was over 200 in the end, and quite probably even more than that. His career lasted over well over 20 years, so anything is possible. This case is a really tough one and has left such lasting damage to so many people. As is often the case um, when you look at these sorts of crimes, the um, authorities did come in for some criticism, as you can imagine. And, you know, in the aftermath, some of the police's actions in the early days did come into some sort of question, really. Um, it was felt that um, quite junior officers and inexperienced officers were initially sent to carry out the investigation when people first started coming out about concerns about Harold Chipman. Um, so hopefully also the police will learn from that and um, 
maybe send in some more senior officers in future if there's any you know concerns about something similar going on Thank you very much for listening and credits for this episode go to the two documentaries that I mentioned earlier, the Born to Kill documentary and the Real Stories documentary on Harold Shipman, uh, Wikipedia and Britannica.com, the website. Thank you very much again for listening. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.